Call yourself okay. Mr. G, Davy G, Father G. Father G, is he now a priest? Father G, ooh, I don't like that. What are you What are you drinking, Lucas? I was drinking Red Stag and Dr. Pepper, and now I have a tangerine wheat. Lauren has found this beer called Just Pressed. It's a surprisingly delicious lime ginger sour beer. It is amazing. If it requires like four adjectives to describe what it is, I'm usually kind of on the fence. It's three. I lime got ginger sour. Pressed. Ju- ju- just Pressed is the name of it. Beer. Beer. Shut up. <laughs> just start I mean, this I- thing. I'm trying. I'm trying desperately. All right, go ahead. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Is For Podcast. Tonight, we have our good friend, Danger. Hello. Our lovely friend, Sarge. Hello. And your host for this ghoulish evening, Mr. G. We're going to go with Mr. G. Is this like an that. eight? Is this an eight-year-old Halloween party? They're your ghoulish host. <laughs> yes, it absolutely 100% is, because tonight, you is for Universal Monsters. All right. One of my favorite genres of movies oh. to watch. You know what's funny is, and I'll, I'll be completely honest here, be completely transparent, as big of a horror movie fan as I am, I had came very late to these. I just, within the past couple years, have seen them all. I didn't see them when I was a kid. I didn't watch them until I was in my 30s, and I love them. I absolutely adore them. I think the first time I saw one was, I was probably about eight, nine years old. I don't know. Eight was a busy year for me based on all the things that I've said that I've done. But uh, <laughs> I think I was about eight, nine years old, and... Uh, my dad wanted to show my older brother and I the uh, Frankenstein. So he put the movie on, probably VHS, as that's what the medium was at the time, and then left the room to go get popcorn or whatever other things you watch, you, you eat while you watch a movie with your children. Sure. And I don't recall this, but he has recalled this to me several times, that uh, he just started hearing Adam and I yelling at him from the next room, saying the TV was broken. He came back in there and said, the TV's fine. We're like, it's in black and white. And he was like, the movie's <laughs> in black and white. It's, it, it's supposed to be in black and white. So Never had that problem with Universal Monsters. Is when, when I watched my grandfather maybe watch Casablanca. I have never seen Casablanca. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good movie. It's a good movie. And Why is this there, in black and white? There is a Universal Monster connection to Casablanca. We'll get to oh, that. Oh, didn't know that. Cool. Is, it, yes. is it Casablanca or Casablanca? It depends on where you are. It's like tomato, tomato. Yeah. Casa, casa, blanca, blanca. Kind of depends on, you know, how you talk. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, take it away, Mr. G. Okay, so the Universal Monsters, I think people are pretty familiar with them in general. You got Frankenstein, you got Dracula, you got the Invisible Man, etc. However, they really started back in the early 1920s with the silent era of films. Carl Limley was the producer at Universal Pictures, and he started producing these silent, quote-unquote, horror films. The first one was 1923's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. Shortly thereafter was 1925's Phantom of the Opera, both starring Lon Chaney Sr. Now, Lon Chaney Jr., we'll get to him in a little while, is his son, and he kind of continued on the tradition. But the cool thing about Lon Chaney Sr. was he played the hunchback, he played the phantom, 
and he did his own makeup and prosthetics. That's cool. Again, by today's standards, eh. But by those standards back in the 20s, unbelievably horrifying looking. I think the only other actor I know that did his own makeup was actually Heath Ledger for the Joker. Um, I know that he did all of his own, and that's why his hands always had makeup and stuff on them during filming. You know, so I think that helped add the look to it as well. So. While not considered a quote-unquote universal monster, like not part of the universe, the Joker is actually based on a Universal Pictures film yes. called The Man Who Laughs. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I, think, I think we went into that when we did Jay's. I think we did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I remember that conversation. So when people think about Universal Monsters proper, though, it doesn't really kick off until the 1930s where Carl Limley Jr. took over the studio and decided to make this horror film uh, adaptation from this book. The book was Bram Stoker's Dracula. This was when Hollywood was really a tight-knit group and family you know, family business and whatnot. It was, absolutely. This is when actors and, would sign deals with studios to make their films instead of just making whatever films came across mm-hmm. their plate. Now, yes. now, when we talk about the book adaptation, are we still going the silent movies, 1920s? We hit the 1930s. So this, uh, Dracula actually came out on Valentine's Day, 1931. Okay, um, so we're in the 30s. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, we're in the Depression. Was, <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting, and I didn't know this until recently, was that Lon Chaney was originally supposed to play Count Dracula, but he passed away before they started shooting the film. So what they did was they got the actor who had been playing Dracula in the stage play that was becoming pretty popular, and that would be Bela Lugosi. Yeah. Now, most people from the 1930s till 2021, when they think of Count Dracula, the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he moves, they're thinking about Bela Lugosi's performance. Now, I want to ask a question. Was uh, Nesferatu considered part of the beginning of this so that came earlier and it was in the silent film era it was in the silent film era and don't quote me on this but i don't believe it had anything to do with universal pictures okay technically nosferatu would be the first adaptation of count dracula but dracula in and of itself was 1931 bella lugosi which I've never seen Nesferatu, so I really have nothing outside of just the limited knowledge of it that I have. As as a bit of a you know horror movie buff, I have watched it, and it's it, it there's some cool imagery, but it is a nineteen uh, gosh I want to say nineteen teens, like maybe eighteen or something like that. Um, silent film, so I mean yeah. it is what it is. It's slow by nature, and for as cool as Nosferatu looks. At, at Max Shrek's portrayal of the vampire, like I said, when you think of vampires, you think of Bella Lugosi's Dracula. Uh, yeah, right, for sure. The, the well-groomed aristocratic Dracula. Right, right. So, because of the popularity of Dracula, again, for anyone who hasn't seen these films, by today's standards, they are not necessarily "quote-unquote" scary. But they are beautiful films. They are films that need to be seen and revered. But again, when this came out, nobody had seen this kind of thing before. And Dracula was kind of in the very beginning of talkies. So 
that in and of itself was kind of frightening. Which I know. understand that the term talkies was given to movies that actually have sound and whatnot, but can we just examine for a fact that talkies just sounds like such a horribly mean derogatory term? <laughs> like, I can't stand my wife anymore. She's such a talkie. I mean, I can, I can see that. I mean, it probably was because you had like two different styles of, of movies going on. I mean, you had the the like Charlie Chaplin style movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, which and were then all of a sudden, which in the beginning of his career were silent movies. Exactly. And then you get into and then you know, he got wrapped up in the talkie. He got wrapped up in the talkies, too. You know, and it just seems like the Universal Monsters helped bring the talkie movies Yes. Forward because it was like, what was it like the night between 1930 and 1935? Was there like three or four Universal Monsters? Oh, like yeah. the Mummy oh, yeah. We're was one there. of them. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, stop so, getting ahead of us, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, I got all this. Something I know. <laughs> no, that's good. So, needless to say, because of the popularity of Dracula, they immediately put in production another one in November 21st of 1931, the same year, Frankenstein came out. Yeah. Now, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yes. Frankenstein, much like Dracula, being very early on in the talkie period, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of slow moments of just Dracula's face, the monster's face, where you read a lot into it without a whole lot of dialogue. There is music in both films, but it's very sparse, and that kind of adds to the atmosphere. Which, can we talk about, the monster was not named Frankenstein. That's the most annoying thing when it comes to that. Stop getting ahead of us. Stop getting ahead of us. No, no, no. So, what's interesting is a lot of the confusion about that comes from a sequel. And we'll get to that. I didn't realize I was getting ahead. (laughs) So, uh, in 1931, when they did um, Frankenstein is really when another one of the unsung heroes of the Universal Pictures kind of came onto the scene. The Invisible uh, Man. A, no? I, I, I see what you did there. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, Jack Pierce. Jack Pierce was the effects and makeup artist on Frankenstein, and then subsequently all the con- the Universal monsters yeah. therefore after. So um, was, it, was it actually crafted as a thing that Universal was going to do, or did it just kind of turn into that? It was a money-making. It's probably a cash cow. Oh, sure. Dracula was this huge success, and it was one of the very first quote-unquote horror films. There wasn't a lot of comedy. There wasn't slapstick. There wasn't some kind of, like, you know, silly humor to undercut it. It was played straightforward. And Frankenstein was the same way. It was played very much as a serious horror film. In fact, one of the coolest parts of Frankenstein is the very beginning when they have a... It looks like a theater, and a person walks out on stage, and he basically gives the audience a warning. He tells people, what you're about to see is terrifying. It may shock you. If you don't want to you know, sit through this kind of nerve-jangling experience, now you can leave. And, of course, nothing in the film lives up to that, right. but it still sets this atmosphere and this mood. Well, maybe you know? not by today's you know, standards, yeah. but I'm sure at the time it was quite frightening. It was. It absolutely was. So, in 1932 and 1935, two more Universal Monsters were introduced. 1932 was The Mummy. Now, 1935 is when they introduced The Wolfman, but it is not the Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman that people think. It was a movie called Werewolf of London. 
Okay. Needless to say, that's not a very famous one. That's not one that kind of has a lot of longevity. Well, American um, Werewolf in London, which came out in the 80s, I believe. Sorry. That's an that's an incredible horror film. Yeah. So starting already, and and we'll get into this in a minute, is the overlap of performances. So Boris Karloff, who played the monster in the Frankenstein movies, went on to actually play the mummy in the first mummy film. Um, Emotap. Yes, Emotap. Emotap. Now, as the sequels start coming out, different actors play different characters, and it's really interesting, and we'll get to this in a second, to see, like, different actors playing different roles of other iconic monsters right. with uh, it. It's fascinating. So around 1935 is when the sequels started. Most famously 1935's the bride of Frankenstein, which is where the confusion there comes in, I guess. Exactly. Now the, the title would imply that the bride is the bride of Frankenstein. And when you watch right. the film, the, the bride is for the monster. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is in basically where the where the confusion really started to kick in. Yeah. Now I've never seen it is Dr. Frankenstein in the second movie in the sequel. Yes. Okay, so it's sort of like bride of him like him giving. Yes, and that's and that's I think what they were going for. If you've never seen The Bride of Frankenstein out of all 30 35 films depending on how you want to count it of the universal monster spectrum there's a large portion of people that would consider Bride of Frankenstein the very best top of the top of the line. Which I didn't know I there were that many movies. No, yes. There's a lot. There's a lot I know there's a lot. I didn't know it was 30-something. Technically, it's 30 if you want to start with Dracula in 1931. If you want to go back to those couple in the silent era and, and a couple other things here or there, it, it equals closer to about 34, 35. Now, um, does that number include the Brandon Fraser mummy movies and then also the Tom Cruise mummy? Oh, you ooh, you son of a bitch. We'll get to the Tom Cruise movie in a minute. That's, ooh, so, that's a sore so spot. For reference for everybody. Yes. Okay. Dracula, from the time it aired in the 1930s, Mm-hmm. There are 98 different versions of the Dracula movie to include sequels and trilogies and so forth. So on TV movies, Broadway adaptations, the whole, the whole number. 90. Now, I'm 90, not. Uh, 97, you say? 98. 98. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I did read somewhere that Dracula is the most adapted, most remade redone character yeah in in cinema history i believe it 1931 six so, months after the original dracula drac draculius uh, 1931 aka dracula spanish version okay so uh the spanish version was actually being filmed El uh, at the same time it was filmed at the exact same time that the american version was done and for as much as the um, Bella Lugosi performance is considered classic, the Spanish film, in a lot of ways, is actually superior to the Bella Lugosi film. They used the same sets, and a lot of the same people worked on... There was some crossover between the two, but mostly people consider the Spanish version, the cinematography and, and the atmosphere, to be far superior 
to the the classic that we know. I believe it. I, I believe it. I've watched I quite a few Spanish films. Though. I've watched quite a few Spanish yeah. films. They're always shot wonderfully. So in 1935 was The Bride of Frankenstein, and it, it went on to huge success. So in 1936, they did Dracula's Daughter. Now, this is one that I particularly really enjoy, but it's not one of the more well-known ones. No, um, I didn't even know that was a thing. It's very interesting because people don't really harp on this. Again, by 1930s, 1940s standards, it's very tame. But Dracula introduced a little bit of sexuality into cinema, even a little bit of homosexuality, because there's a character in Dracula named Renfield, who's actually one of my favorite characters of all of this. He's a pretty normal dude. Then he meets Dracula and he goes completely bonkers and he basically devotes himself to Dracula. And there's this weird chemistry. We've all, we've all had that guy. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. Which Renfield was played by Dwight Fry, who was also in the original Frankenstein. He played Fritz, Dr. Frankenstein's assistant, not Igor. We'll get to him in a second, but Dwight Fry is another one of those guys that appears in almost all, all of these movies in some way, shape, or form. So when daughter, uh, Dracula's daughter came around, it introduced a little bit of lesbianism. And again, for 1930s audiences, they were like, that was, that was yeah, that was like lewd. And that like was also shocking. scary. It was scary, hence the horror element. The devil. <laughs> now, so, but again, those were sort of, um, Dracula's daughter was not one that's, you know, remembered quite as fondly as some of these other ones. Um, but in 1941 is when Lon Chaney Jr.'s The Wolfman came out. The Wolfman, which uh, now, uh, Benicio Del Toro did a remake. Ha. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, he did. And it's actually not that bad. It's not it's great. Also, but it's, it's also not that good. No, it's not. It's oh. not. 43 was the remake of Phantom of the Opera starring Claude Rains. Claude Rains is also the guy who plays the Invisible Man in the first Invisible Man movie. You don't really see him. He doesn't get a lot of speed. No, he doesn't, but he has an (laughs) incredible voice. His vocal performance is is ridiculous. And, if you remember, Claude Rains is a supporting character in Casablanca. Oh, (laughs) Oh, look. There it is, everybody. There it is. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Now, what's interesting is 1943's Phantom of the Opera is the only one of these universal universe films that was in color. And even though it's in color, there's still not a lot to make you want to watch it. It's to me, that's kind of near the bottom tier of all of these films, even the weird sequels and spinoffs and stuff. Phantom of the Opera is is it feels like a 1940s film. It's it's not great. I don't think I've seen any adaptation of Phantom of the Opera. I've seen a couple of the Broadway performances, and they're not bad. The Lon Chaney Jr. original silent film has some incredible imagery. There's actually a, a one segment in that film that is in color. And again, it's one of those things that your 2021 brain just doesn't really respond to. But in those days, it was shocking. I mean, downright like get your heart racing, how how unreal it was. Um, So 1943 is when we started seeing the idea of the first shared universe really start to come together. 
for as cool as Marvel's Avengers shared universe is, Universal Monsters did it first. Right. I'm sure the continuity isn't the same <laughs> as No, Marvel. no. These guys had no idea what they were doing. They were just yeah. throwing, like, let's, what happens if we put Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and Wolfman all in the same movie? Shenanigans ensue. Yeah. <laughs> I will say when they started the crossover stuff, that's when they started reintroducing all the characters like uh, Peter Cushing's. Uh, another reason now, why I know Peter Cushing's is mm, is uh, he was in Star Wars. No, was uh, he Van Helsing? He was. He was the uh, Emperor in A New Hope. Oh, didn't know that. Now Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, that whole era comes later. That's the uh, Hammer horror film. Yes, I um, do love some Hammer horror films. Now those are basically. For all intents and purposes, they're just remakes of these films oh, yeah. with a lot of more violence, a lot more sexuality. It's not implied, it's gratuitous. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. For better or for worse, depending on your, your take. I don't know. Um, I love the look of the Hammer Horror films. I just Oh yeah. yeah they have a fantastic. they have a vibe. Oh yeah. Yeah. So 1943 was Frankenstein meets Wolfman. And then 44 was House of Frankenstein, and 45 was House of Dracula. All of these movies feature Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman. And this is when it starts getting kind of funny as far as like, and uh, to, to go back a little bit, Boris Karloff played Frankenstein's monster in all three of the main Frankenstein films, Frankenstein, Bride, and Son. Then he stopped playing the monster. However, in Son of Frankenstein, he plays the monster... And Bella Lugosi plays Igor. So you start seeing like <laughs> different actors start playing different roles alongside different monsters. And it's if you're a fan of these films, it's it's incredible to witness this happen. So um, so you're telling me that like an actor that was known for making for portraying a monster suddenly was not portraying that monster alongside that monster? No, no, it gets, it gets crazy. So like uh, a matter of fact, I made a, I made a brief list. So I'll, I'll go through this really quick. So like Bela Lugosi, for example, he plays Dracula, obviously, yeah. but then in son of Frankenstein, he plays Igor in the Wolfman. He plays Bella, a gypsy. Then in Frankenstein uh, meets the Wolfman. He plays the monster. He plays Frankenstein's monster. And then in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, he reprises his role as Dracula. He only played Count Dracula twice in his entire film career. But his Dracula is the one that is known. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So then Boris Karloff, who plays the monster in Frankenstein, Bride and Son, he plays Imhotep in the first Mummy film. And then he ends up playing a mad scientist in House of Frankenstein. And in House of Frankenstein, I think it's Glenn Strange who plays the monster in that one. So it's so weird watching these, like seeing the different ways they're portrayed. Now, and I didn't even try to write this down. Lon you Chaney you Jr. couldn't do that shit now. No. no, no, no. Could you imagine like Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark in one film and then mm -hmm. playing Peter Parker in a film <laughs> five minutes later? You I know? couldn't imagine um, him playing Peter Parker at all, considering he's like a 15-year-old boy. But but then the the one that's really funny is Lon Chaney Jr. And I'm not going to get into this, but he basically plays the Wolfman every single time the Wolfman shows up. But in certain films, he'll play Frankenstein's monster. In Son of Dracula, he plays Count 
Alucard. Yeah, yeah, get right. it? He he plays. I'm I'm just trying to follow. This just sounds convoluted as hell. And then he he played pretty much all the mummies too. So after Imhotep, he played the mummy. So well, I mean, as, as as the mummy, you you can hide your face. Well, that's what I was getting ready to say. Obviously, his father, known for makeup, known for playing these horrific creatures, Lon Chaney Jr. kind of lifted the mantle and continued on. Obviously, yeah. Jack Pierce did his did the makeup on those characters, but he Obviously. liked portraying those characters for sure. Not to uh, not to go too far off the realms. Yeah. So, are you familiar with Michael Gore? Goro? Gore? G O U G H? I think. Michael Goro, G-O-U-G-H. Familiar with him? I don't think so. Horrors of Dracula, 1958. He played Arthur Holmwood. Oh, nice, nice. Cool. So he's been around bats his entire career. (laughs) (laughs) So during this time, during the 40s, you've got all the monster crossover films, and they're really interesting, and some are better than others, including the Abbott and Costello meat films. Yeah, they do. My particular favorite is Meet Frankenstein because that's when Lugosi comes back as Dracula. It's very funny. It's it's very entertaining. How many uh, times most, did Abbott and Costello meet uh, Universal Monsters? So they did that one. Um, they did Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, which most people think is the best one out of all of them. And then they also did Abbott and Costello meet the Mummy. Which is I I didn't care for that one as much, but it's it's got some funny parts. See, I don't um, even know I don't even know Frankenstein. I didn't even realize they met other ones. Yeah, uh, Mummy, Invisible Man, and then they actually did some more, but not in this this universe. In ah. in like I can't remember the name now, but there's like Abbott and Costello meet the m- monster of something and and that kind of thing. But that's that's not part of this yeah. series. It's part of the Abbott it's, and Costello series, right? Which is a whole yeah. other. Uh, universe and timeline you have to follow. It's Tune in for A is for Evan Costello meet. <laughs> so then the 1950s hit, and this is when Universal would introduce their last big iconic monster, and this is when they introduced the Gillman. The Gillman? Um, the Gillman from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, I didn't realize it actually had a name. It yes. I feel like if I ever need some, meet somebody named Gil, I'm just going to mm-hmm. call him Gilman the whole time. So, you should. You yeah, should. Gilman. And so, that's called Bad Advice from Mr. G. <laughs> I, I know Bad Advice when I hear it, and I like it. <laughs> I like it. So this came out in March, March 5th of 1954, and it was sort of a response to it. I don't know how familiar you are with cinema in the 1950s, but this is when the sci-fi boom really hit. Yeah, um, yeah sci-fi kind of, really hit in the 50s. And this was like the quote-unquote atomic age. Mm-hmm. This is when everything involved giant monsters and lasers and space travel and that kind of stuff started. Aliens were everywhere. And this was sort of a take on the the atomic age. This was, it's never really explained where the Gilman comes from. They kind of talk about him being sort of an evolutionary anomaly but at the same time, the weird experimental creature was just the rage at the time, basically. Right. The other thing that makes this one very interesting is it was actually released in 3D. It was one of the first films released in 3D. Huh. Still in black and white. Um, With the, the paper 3D, red and blue. 
I don't know if it was red and blue. I, I maybe I'm not really sure. Of course, now Honestly. our now our 3D goggles or glasses when we go into a theater are modeled after Neos from the Matrix, and right, you know, they look all <laughs> fancy. And you could see a guy wearing down the street, and you'd be like, "Hey, look at that guy. He's weird." You know, at the time, I'm pretty sure it was all the folded paper, blue and red glasses. Right, right. Now, a little while ago, you mentioned uh, Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Yes. Um, I love that first movie. I love it. Yeah, no, it's fun. On the wrong side of the river. It's it's much more an Indiana Jones action-adventure film than it is any kind of uh, attempted horror. But that was one of many revamps, remakes, reboots of the Universal Monsters. Um, Which, hold on, I want to stop. I want to talk about how that movie had sequels on sequels and then spinoffs of sequels and sequels to those and a spinoff. I I think The Scorpion King was actually three sequels deep and then a spinoff of a sequel. Like, that movie had so many. It's spiderwebbed out so far. I'm going to find and post the spiderweb of... I'm going to make (laughs) the spiderweb of The Mummy. Well, we have W coming up. We can just do WebWorks. And we can just blot it all out. <laughs> okay, so, but before that, in the early 90s, there was a little bit of a resurgence here. I don't know if you guys have seen Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The Robert starred... De Niro one? Yes. 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 Now, this is a classic case of a film that sticks almost too true to the source material. Um, I've read the book. I've seen the film. I've seen the, you know, the classic 30s versions. This is the most accurate adaptation of the book, minus the last 15 minutes where it goes completely off the rails. Um, but it does not make for an interesting film. Uh, it is Robert, not It is not a good movie. It is not a good movie. And I love Robert De Niro. I think he's a great actor. Um, he does not capture the monster. He, he just does not do it. Now, um, I'm going to say something controversial here, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't think Robert De Niro is a good actor. I think Robert De Niro is a good Robert De Niro. Okay, I agree with... I can... I can Actually, I prefer that to what I said. I agree with you. Yeah. 100%. Um, I like Robert De Niro. I like him, too. I, okay. I, I like him, too, but... Robert De Niro is good at being Robert De Niro. You don't really get him. The only thing I've seen him outside of where he's not being him is probably Cape Fear. And he's completely outside of his element there. would be him? Uh, just the, the, the frown smile, the, you know, he just has the same mannerisms and the same, like, I don't know, cadence in his voice in every role he plays. To your point, Taxi driver. When okay. he plays yeah, a yeah. role that is outside of what you just yeah. said, the grumpy Italian man. Right. Um think think about um think about him and meet the parents. Yeah. That's pretty much Robert De Niro every single time he's on screen. Right. I mean, so I watched I, I watched him in the intern uh 2014, 2015 movie with, with Liz. I think you were the only one that watched that one. Yeah, I've it never was, not ringing a bell. It was really good. It was a good did very well. He wasn't the old man, hmm. but it, it, it was a really good, really good. But anyway, I digress. Continue. Uh, yeah, um, I think Taxi Driver, Cape Fear, uh, maybe Godfather Part Two, like that. that yeah. uh, outside of that, I mean, you get the grumpy wasn't Italian man. So, yeah, but I mean, even, that... he was young in that and still a grumpy Italian man. Yeah. 
So that actually goes into this next this next train of thought I have. After around the same time was Bram Stoker's Dracula with uh, Keanu Reeves, Gary Oldman, uh, Winona Ryder, um, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, Great movie. I sent, once it is a from a filmmaker's perspective, it is an incredibly made film. Yeah. Um, Story-wise, again, they tried to stick really close to the source material. Now, they redid Frankenstein. They redid Dracula. Now they're going to redo The Wolfman. This was supposed to be the beginning of the, the resurgence of the Universal Monster film. And this was the uh, Benicio del Toro one you're talking about? No. Oh. Be because Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula did not do super well... They had a Wolfman script that they tweaked and they turned into Wolf, the Jack Nicholson film. Oh, yeah. I forgot about oh, that. Yeah, one. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, that is, was a, which is an underrated werewolf movie. It's, yeah. it's good. It's it, good. I was going to say, which is a shit movie? <laughs> it's not great. It does, it's not up there with the howling and American Werewolf in London, but it's like one tier down. It's, it's not bad. It's just. This was not enough to get the support for Universal yeah. Monsters to really get up and running. Yeah, I forgot so, that Jack was a werewolf. So they kind of threw it out there periodically. Dracula Untold, The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro, Van Helsing. Like, they tried every once in a while to throw out this film. And then they said, you know what? We're just going to do it. Marvel did it, so we're going to make The Dark Universe... And we are going to put all these universal monsters back together and we're going to make it huge and it's going to be great. And then they shat out the mummy with Tom Cruise and ruined it for everybody. And, which, and they tried to make it better with Hotel Transylvania. Which are great movies. I love those <laughs> movies. Which, okay, so the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss, wasn't that supposed to be originally part of it? Not, not that, so... When they first started pitching it, before The Mummy ever came out, they started to leak some of the cast, who they were going to play in the universe. They had Johnny Depp scheduled, set to be the Invisible Man. Right. They had Angelina Jolie set to be the Bride of Frankenstein. Yep. Uh, Russell Crowe plays, I think, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and he's yeah. somehow like the Nick Fury of it all. He's sort yeah, of like... Which I remember in the Tom Cruise mummy, he was kind of that character. Right. Like they had right. a couple cut like flashback scenes with him. And then there was one main scene that he was in. Mm -hmm. And I kind of mm -hmm. got that feeling that he was the Nick Fury, the title together guy. And instead of actually doing what they should have done, which is make, and I'm not saying these are great films. I'm just using this God, as an no, example. That mummy movie was terrible. No, it is God awful. Um, instead of taking the Blumhouse approach of making a small, atmospheric, scary movie, they made a Michael Bay-esque mm -hmm. blockbuster bullshit movie, mm -hmm. and nobody liked it. Yeah. And so there have been talks. They've been going back and forth about, okay, we're learning from our mistakes. We're going to try again. Um I have very little faith that the quote unquote dark universe is ever really going to take off. I think um, it will. I, I, I think it will because 
you know, it's like it's it's fashion in a sense. It's going to come back around, and when it comes back around, and you get the people in it that can live up to the hype, like you can never re make a movie like the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s styles movies. Sure. Because those are when actors and actresses really had to have talent. Mm-hmm. We're talking Yul Brenner, who could sing, he could dance, he could shoot a gun, ride a horse, and he knew how to use a sword, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. I mean, that is real life. You'll well, never be able to get that again. Well, it's so not we even set the bar that high. Well, I'm not even setting it that high. I'm setting <laughs> it half that high. I'm setting it as low budget, like B level horror films, because essentially that's what a lot of this 1940s stuff was. When Frankenstein, House of Frankenstein comes out, this is not a big budget cash grab, like massive cinematic thing. It's a spinoff of a sequel to have a couple monsters beat each other up. All right. So, so the universal monsters to me are like genes. Now hear me out. Now in the, the, when the original universal monsters came out, genes were good. They would look good. They were form fitting and everything was good. And then universal monsters kind of died off and then they try to bring it back. And the Tom Cruise mummy is like Jinkos. Like it's been ruined. They're, they're no longer something people want to do. It's no longer something that's going to get back. And and I don't know what test audience survey answering knuckleheads screwed this up, but I don't know any horror movie slash cinema enthusiast thinks that that's what we want. We don't want Mission Impossible featuring a mummy. We yeah. want a universal monster movie. And, and I, I, I believe there is an audience for that because for as bombastic and, and CGI and all that with the, with the new Godzilla and King Kong films and stuff, there's still schlocky B movies yeah. that yeah. are just on a big screen. So I feel like they can do that. But instead of being like, hey, Marvel did this really cool shared universe thing with all their characters, we should adopt it. They said, hey, Marvel made these great big superhero action movies in a shared universe. Let's do the same shit with our scary creatures. Well, the and difference the difference between Marvel the difference between Marvel and Universal is Marvel was it was started as a, Iron Man was actually an independent movie. It it was right. it didn't have any big budget funding, so it's a small studio that eventually grew into a big studio bought up by it but it was the ideas were completely controlled by one person so it was one person's ideas running through all of it and then if you actually look at the directors they got from marvel movies most of them were smaller unknown directors i mean Mm -hmm. think about it dr strange directed by scott derrickson all he did before that was horror films horror films and nothing like that and so they actually were able to take this idea, this this seed of an idea, and slowly grow it and introduce characters in their own movies and give each character time to grow on their own and then introduce them in each other's movies and slowly grow it. Instead of rushing it, they took, what was it, 12 years to build mm-hmm. that monstrosity? I mean... Well, it's, it's, it's not that they also took 12 years to build it. They typecasted very, very... Yeah, like once once they had Iron Man, once they had Thor, once they had Nick 
year, you know, and Agent Carlson, right? Once they had them, you they couldn't be anywhere else. And you could really make a solid movie around those people. Well, and to your point, I, I happen to think that Tom Cruise is a is a fair actor. I have nothing yeah, against Tom Cruise. He's fine. He's a good um, action movie. You'd say he's an action actor. He's not a horror. Yeah. He, well, no, and but I don't go to the mummy to see the guy. Like I'm not going to see the guy. I'm going to see the mummy. Right. Now I'm not I don't know who the, the woman was who played the, the mummy character in Tom the, the new mummy. Nobody cares. I mean Nobody cares. What people kind of fail to remember is that like Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., these were like incredible actors who took playing the monster seriously. They weren't yeah. just the monster. They took it seriously. So no, the, the 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 actress in the in the 2017 Tom Cruise Mummy is Sophia Baltala. God uh, bless her. But I don't see four sequels coming off of her performance. She's because so. because she while she yes she gave a performance as you would have to do as the title character. She was not the star of the movie. She was not the focus right. of the movie. Right. It was a Tom Cruise movie. It was. Right. Like, I actually remember Jake Johnson, who was, like, Tom Cruise's buddy who died, like, you know, a quarter of the way into the movie. And, like, and then it was his ghost haunting the rest of the time. That was the scariest part of the whole movie. And, like, that's what I remember more about the movie than the mummy itself. The thing I remember the most about the mummy is the poster with the four pupils. So, if they could make another monster movie that got, I I found a review uh, from Hammer Studios about a movie. I'm going to read you this whole review. It's not that long. That's interesting. Right, you found one from Hammer Studios, but go on. Right. Okay. So this is done December 23rd, 1999. Hammer Studios speeds up the more sexually explicit time for vampire lovers. A sleek, beautifully filmed, atmospheric filming of the vampire tale Camilla by Sheridan Le Fanu. <laughs> this wonderfully done film combines a traditional vampire legend with a more permissive sexual standards of the 1970s, resulting in a sensual yet frightening version of this well-crafted story. (laughs) That was a review of a 1970s movie done in 1999. It sounds like a Hammer film. Yeah, (laughs) it is is a Hammer film. Now, let's let's acknowledge for for a quick second that I would say 90% of pop culture that came out between 1998 and 2002 was shit. I mean... It was just it was just a, a time period of awfulness as far as pop culture goes. There were some nuggets in there, but yeah. So um, I, I think what it boils down to is instead of the the people at Universal right now seeing the properties that they have as these these revered and respected creatures, they're seeing what other studios like Marvel and Warner Brothers are doing, and they're like, we need big bombastic action flicks to compete with these and there's a time and a place for that and the universal monsters are not that now no, don't get me wrong slow burn no they yes, are but, burn. well don't get me wrong back in the 30s and 40s almost every film ended with the original frankenstein ended with a windmill on fire and p- the crashing to the ground and people falling off of it other films ended with a dam breaking and the castle being shook to the ground like you can have explosions. You can have those big moments. But it but was a slow burn to get there. It was. Yes. The, the mummy is that climax for an hour and a half. And that's right. not going to I, sustain. 
and it would be remiss for us to say slow burn and not say that the original Dracula, the I'm sorry, not the original, the 1930s version of Dracula was one hour and 15 minutes long with. Yes. Dracula. That's yeah. the other thing is most <laughs> of these films, especially the, the first group of them are never over an hour and a half. Well, They're all hour and five, hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes. Well, I mean, how long was the average movie when we were kids? An hour, 20, hour, 30 minutes? I mean, yeah. they really weren't that long movies, but now a movie less than two hours, you're like, that was that was quick. But I mean, like, well, we're just yeah. conditioned to go longer, and as we go back in history, it's going to go shorter. So, Well, I mean, it's 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 like the first movie to ever push the bounds of how long you're going to sit your ass in a seat at was Titanic. It had intermission while they right. changed reels. Oh, the Godfather, those movies were each like three hours long. Yeah. So, I mean, there were long movies that came out before that. I mean, there was a movie actually with Robert De Niro. It was like 1907 or something like that. And that movie was, I think, four hours long. I mean, it was a ridiculously long movie. It was a terrible watch, movie. But uh, I think the Lord of the Rings extended cuts. I mean, I think Return of the King is four hours. Like I could put on, yeah. I, I used to go to, I used to take uh, like the days that were just rainy and TNT would play Lord of the Rings all day. Yeah. And I would just take those days and do nothing. I would lay on the couch, take a nap and wake up and Lord of the Rings would still be on. It was just so, all day. Okay. Okay. So as someone who is a huge horror fan, who is, has the, the 30 film collection has seen them all multiple times. I have ranked them. I've ranked them all, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you the top 10 because I think my top two or three are going to be pretty much like, well, duh. But there's a few of these sequels and spinoffs that are far better than I think people know because they're just not they're just not as well known. Number 10 is the creature from the Black Lagoon. Should I insert a drum roll within this part? Yes, every single time. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's got an incredible Gilman suit. The monster looks cool. Gilman. Um, Gilman. Good old Gilman. Fun fact: the same actor played the Gilman in all three films in the underwater scenes. So there, because again, we're talking about the 1950s. They didn't have CG like they do now and stuff. This guy was in a big ass rubber suit. I can't imagine he could breathe very well. And he's like prolonged swimming scenes in the water. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool looking. Okay. Number nine, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This one to me is the best Abbott and Costello universal monster film. And it has Bella Lugosi playing Dracula again. And that's just, it's just fun to witness within itself. Next, number eight is The Invisible Agent. Now, this is the fourth sequel from The Invisible Man. Because you had Visible Man, Invisible Man Returns, which had Vincent Price, which is, I mean, he's got a great voice. Then The Invisible Woman, which is, it's a comedy. There's nothing scary about it. It's, It's a comedy. And then The Invisible Agent is actually a World War II Nazi spy thriller. Invisible um, Nazis. He's right, basically he's yeah. invisible to infiltrate the Nazis to try to like disrupt their plans and stuff. And the best part about that film is Peter Lorre is in it, who's huh. another one of those actors from those days who's yeah. really weird. He plays a Japanese guy, which is maybe not great in 2021. No. Um, but he is he is great in Peter, this movie. Peter Lorre. 
Number, uh, let's see, 10, 9, 8, seven. I didn't put the numbers for some reason. Okay, seven, Dracula's Daughter. Now, this one is very slow. It's not as, I don't know, the performances aren't as great. There's some humor that doesn't really work, but it pushed some boundaries for the time. The performance of of the the actress who plays Dracula's Daughter is really good. It, it, it's It's better than it should be, for sure. Number six is Son of Frankenstein. Now, this one is kind of like, you know, the third part of the trilogy of the Frankenstein films, but it has Basil Rathbone as as the Frankenstein doctor in this one. And he is he does a great job. The interactions between him and the police are, are, are well, I guarantee you, Quentin Tarantino stole some dialogue ideas from this uh, because it maybe. is dialogue heavy. And fun fact, if you go back and watch Son of Frankenstein and then the Mel Brooks film Young Frankenstein, you'll see a lot of stuff that he parodied. That's the film that he really drew inspiration from even more. Okay, so top five. Number five, Bride of Frankenstein. As much as I love Son, I've actually gone back and forth. Son of Frankenstein's a little bit longer. It's a little more talk-heavy. Bride of Frankenstein's a little more iconic. There's this really cool stuff where this guy named Dr. Pretorius basically shrinks down these little people. Again, for the 40s, this was unreal-looking special effects. I mean, just out of this world. Number four, The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. Claude Rains plays Lon Chaney's father in it. You've got Bella Lugosi coming back as a gypsy named Bella. The makeup effects on The Wolf are iconic. The first real good werewolf transformation scene. Okay, so the top three, this is probably not any shocks to anybody. Uh, number three is The Invisible Man uh, with Claude Rains. Technically, the highest body count in any of these Universal films because he derails a train and kills over a hundred people. Claude Rain's voice is so commanding that, and again, the special effects are just unbelievable for the time. I mean, the way they shot it is just, even looking at it today, it's, it's pretty cool to see. And then of course, number one and number two, you can almost like switch depending on your preference. But for me, number two is Dracula. Bella Lugosi, Count Dracula is iconic. Especially the first part in Dracula's castle is some of the most iconic horror imagery in history. And then number one is Frankenstein. Boris Karloff's portrayal of the monster. Uh, Jack Pierce's makeup on him is iconic. Uh, James Whale, who directed it, is one of the first openly gay directors in history. It, there's just so many monumental, groundbreaking things in that film. So there you go. That's, that's Baby G's top 10 Universal Monster list. All right. Mr. G. Baby G, Mr. G, the big G, whatever. Agent G. Hey, I like Mr. Agent G. Right. We'll uh we'll we'll come up with a, a song for you. It's just gonna be a complete parody of uh Blues Travelers. You know what I'm talking about? I thought, I thought we could just Secret use Agent the, Man. The Perry the Platypus and just change it to Agent G. Did you uh, say Blues Brothers or Blues, Blues, Blues Traveler? Blues Traveler. Blues Traveler. Blues Traveler did a secret agent man. It was for the Ace Ventura soundtrack. Ace Ventura Two when Nature Calls. Okay, but that was a cover. Right, but I'm talking their version because that's what his (laughs) that's what him him singing reminded me of. Okay, okay. whatever. I know I know people can't see the screens and stuff like that, and we're remote. We're just using a. But was as as G was going down his top ten, I was I was searching up random things. I was enjoying that. I really was. So, all right. So, what was your thing you were going to do? 
Mr. Sarge. So I found a program called Movies Anywhere, and you link. It's also your, called a cell phone. Go on. Yes, but it's an actual app, and you link all your stuff to them. Like I found the original. So on the Xbox through Microsoft, I had purchased a long time ago all the Universal Monster movies, and I was trying to watch them today when Luke was like, "Yeah, we can do that." So I was like. Perhaps I'm trying to like speed watch them. So I found this app that I just had to link all my accounts to. And I was able to, any movie I've ever purchased digitally, I can now access from one place. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. So I was able to like drive around town today with my earbuds, with my earbuds in and listen to the movies. You're able to drive around with your earbuds in listening to a silent movie? <laughs> no, listen, listening to like the, <laughs> li- listening to like the 1930, the, the 1931 Dracula stuff. Like Sarah, that. Sarah bought me this incredible box set on blu-ray of the universal monsters nice. the, the the 30 film collection and i mean i was just obsessed for a couple weeks like i had to watch one I every remember. single day I and remember. then i would go back and watch them again and so uh, i watched a couple more of them again kind of preparing for this and watch some of the bonus features and stuff and it's awesome man i, I love that stuff it's so like the atmosphere has been unmatched. Like even by today's standards with all the digital stuff, just the limitations created this atmosphere that you just can't get on a computer screen. I've I've said it many times before that to make a truly good horror film, it's not so much about the jump scares. It's about the atmosphere that's created. Oh, absolutely. 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 I've watched some, some of the scariest movies I've ever seen are not jump scare heavy. They just, I mean, they're oppressive. They they haunt you, you know. There is one movie sure. that came out that was a remake that I absolutely hate, but I will give it and that is Evil Dead. When they remade Evil Dead in the in the in the 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. Hated the movie. Hated the movie. Loved the atmosphere that it created when you watched the movie, but I hated the movie itself. I did I, I we that's a whole other episode. I can't Tune in that. for E is for Evil Dead. Do you want to close we- Do you want to close this out, Luke? All right, Luke, take it away. What has this week been? Tonight's episode of the Is For podcast has been You Is For The Universal Monsters. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave about them. I absolutely love them. You should watch them all. As always, uh, we have our lovely, lovely host, Danger. Hello. Goodbye. Any any parting words? Ah, extra life. 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 Life extra extra And... And our other fantastic host, Mr. Mister Sarge, any parting words? Do not let a $5 sundress cost you thousands of dollars in child support. And on that note, I am Mr. G, and we will see you next time. Bye.